understanding the many different views of masculinity in the modern world. My name is Sonia Vijegas, and this is the Modern Manhood Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Modern Manhood Podcast. I'm your host, Sonia Vijegas. When you work in any type of professional field, you usually end up meeting the same cast of characters. Working in what some people call the men's sector here, the people that are committed to issues like ending violence against women, creating healthy masculinities, and working with male victims, well, that that net is pretty small, especially here in Edmonton. So one of the perks of doing this podcast is that I'm living in a world that's outside of my local area. So I'm living in social media, I'm talking to people that are outside my network, and I get a chance to connect with them. I usually spend a lot of my free time exploring the internet and searching for like-minded people. So that's when I ran into Homer, a website from Australia dedicated to continuing the conversation around men and masculinities. Now, naturally, I loved it. It was enthralling, educational, and committed to being in a comfortable confusion around the word masculinity. You know, what does it mean? Why do we care so much? And that's exactly the place that I felt I was in. Well, it's funny because Homer decided to give MMP an unsolicited shout-out one day. And that gave me the opportunity to stretch my continental horizons with this podcast and invite our first guest from Australia, Ashley Thompson, the editor of Homer. Now, I had an absolute blast talking to Ashley, and damn, I hope you can hear what a genuine person he is. His personality just, just shines through the speakers. I hope you see it. And it was just a pleasure to talk to someone curious about the same things I'm curious about. From the other side of the globe, no less. Through this interview, we're going to talk about why he started Homer, his feelings of connections with other male friends, his time through depression, and what helped him get out of it. And the things two people wondering about the same thing, like masculinity, from other parts of the world have in common. Well, that's enough said. From all the way from Canberra, Australia, this is Ashley Thompson. I've, I've recorded like interviewed somebody from Australia so uh, this is a pleasure yeah thanks for having me let's uh, let's go ahead and set the standard nice and low for Australian interviews <laughs> no, it'll be good <laughs> uh, I actually have a lot of questions about Australia in general just because well I have family in Australia but also like most of my work that I do is around mental health um, and I do a lot of uh, mental health research and a lot of it comes from Australia to be honest um, you know, the, from what I from what I'm hearing is that there's robust policies around mental health. Um, is this? Do you see that too, or is it like? Because from the outside, it, it seems like it is. But you know, from someone that is in Australia, do you feel that there are a lot of ro- robust policies around mental health? Uh, I mean, it really depends which which approach you're taking to it. I mean, like. That's really interesting to hear, and when you put it that way, you know, if you were to take sort of a you know big picture view to the way mental health is approached in Australia, there are huge amounts of, of funding and infrastructure that are available for people with mental health issues. There are massive programs and initiatives. There are community-based initiatives as well um, to help people with depression, anxiety. There's a national suicide hotline. You know, it, it's pretty pretty good at that level. Cultural level, however, like at an interpersonal level in day-to-day life, I don't feel like mental health is handled at all well. I feel like those massive stigmas still exist around, uh, you know, taking a day off work, for example, because of for mental health reasons or um, discussing mental health issues in public spaces. I still, still think there's that huge stigma around it, which is like... Um, it's a sign of weakness. It's something you should just get over yourself. Australia still has, I'd say, a pretty sort of mainstream Western approach to mental health at a at a social cultural level. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. Well, that that I kind of validates what my feelings were on this too, because uh, I, you know, I, I've had some conversations around around Australia too, um, because I do I do see a lot of these kind of awareness campaigns, specifically around. Uh, masculinity. Do you think that those awareness campaigns are making, in, like, are they making progress 
in Australia, or is still is it still feeling there's barriers? <laughs> uh, I mean, it's fucking impossible to say. Like you, a lot of the campaigns around uh, sort of getting people to open up about their mental health issues are. Well, first of all, they're directed at a very specific kind of Australian, mostly. So you're talking somebody like this this male target of mental health initiatives is sort of 45 and up, um, probably lives in a rural area, you know, might have a background in farming. So it's by no means your like regular run of the mill, uh, lower middle, middle or upper middle class man. Uh, who is just living a very ordinary urban or suburban existence. The programs, the, the initiatives that get rolled out for men in those kinds of positions are just sort of saying to them, like, reach out, don't drink so much, uh, tell your friends if you're not feeling bad, that's okay. I don't know how effective those initiatives and messages are. Personally, I find them you know, to be a bit kind of like, I'm sorry, the problem runs too deep that if you just tell somebody to reach out if they're feeling not so great, I don't think that's, I don't think that's going to work. I think, you know, suicide rates in that age bracket for men just kind of speak for themselves. Yeah, 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 I, I, I hear what you're saying. It's kind of the same thing. I don't know if you're in, you know anything about Alberta, um, the province that I live in, and it's, it's a big oil country. Um, there's a lot of these... Uh, you know um, what you call? We call them here. There's a there's a derogatory word for them. They're called rig pigs, um, and they're people who are yeah who are very stereotypically um, you know this macho guy uh, doesn't have a whole lot of education and drinks a lot, parties a lot, has a lot of money, so it drives around in a truck. Um, so this is very stereotypical uh, like version of toxic masculinity. Um, do you have that same sort of uh, kind of stereotypes in Australia? Personally, I have no contact with them. Australia is a huge country, and I live in Canberra, which is the capital. It is uh, it is socio socioeconomically speaking the most privileged city, basically in the whole of Australia. Um, it's relatively small. There are like three hundred and fifty thousand people here. Um, and the key industries are service sector and the public service, so government, and uh, it's a big uni town as well. There are two large universities here. So, I mean, like, those Australian stereotypes, which would probably, I guess, like, the, 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 the similarities would be, I don't know, potentially marked, but... but but not that, not that great, I guess. Like rig pigs, there's no, there's nothing really anywhere near the vicinity of Canberra. I think that would correspond to something like that, you know. Well, the reason why I wanted to have you on was uh, specifically because, um, you know, you started this uh, this website called Homer. It specifically talks about uh, masculinity, and you wanted to. Um, this is in, in your words. Uh, I hope that I'm assuming that you wrote this <laughs> um, <laughs> in your about page. Uh, first, Homer believes there's no, quote, real man. What do you mean by this? Initially, when I started thinking about the idea for Homer, you know, a website dedicated to challenging the idea of what it means to be a man and, and discussing masculinities, my first idea was to have a website which really pushed an agenda, which was a new kind of real man. Right. Like someone who is sensitive, vulnerable, uh, empathetic, who cares about equality, who cares about decency, uh, someone with real integrity. But then I realized, like, that's bullshit. You shouldn't be shoving one new idea about what constitutes a real man mm -hmm. down the throat of the old idea. That's not going to get you anywhere because it sets up a fundamental confrontation between old and new, between good and bad, you're immediately stigmatizing someone else's way that they see themselves. You're saying it's not, it's not as good as what I offer. I, and I wanted to move beyond that and just kind of say, like, there is no real man. Everybody will have, you know, relative degrees of attachment to certain ideas of what constitutes a decent person. But here in this space on Homer, I want to construct the idea that 
there is just there is no real and, and and therefore superior way of being. There's just you know many different qualities which each person embodies to a certain degree, and finding the right combination for you. With some degree of moral judgment, you know, I don't want to necessarily say that like every way of being is a okay. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> totally. But, like, but yeah, find your own recipe. I guess was was the approach I wanted to take. I I really appreciate this because this is something that I've been trying to say for a long time. That there's like I have a version of masculinity myself that I'm like, well, this is just this is just me as a man. But then if I strip that all down, it's just like, oh, this this is just me as Herman. Um, and just as long as I'm not doing anything that's going to hurt other people or that's going to uh, bring down marginalized groups, I'm like, well, I am considered a man regardless of whatever anyone else thinks. And, and I feel like a lot of people are going towards this kind of like, well, the real man is actually the soft, sensitive type and blah, 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 blah. Um, yeah. But you came to this, this conclusion and saying, well, that we're shoving that kind of idea to people, too. That's kind of a, a yeah. w- weird way. Yeah, you know, like, like this is totally uh, counterintuitive thing that's happening right now in debates around masculinity, where people are like, it's been happening for a little while, actually. People are like, hashtag real men cry. It's like, well, then you're saying that dudes who have been socialized to not cry their entire lives and probably couldn't shed a tear if they wanted to are somehow not real men. Like, yeah. that's them that they find it difficult to cry and that's perfectly they're like there's nothing unreal or fake about the way that they are men so just like setting up these new parameters for what constitutes a real man just seems really like i don't know it's just yeah it does it does not seem like it's going to progress things in the long term i reckon oh i totally agree with that i (laughs) this is actually really uh refreshing to hear someone else say these kind of things what why do you i mean do you find that like people are not receptive to these ideas or, or what like why refreshing? i think it's i think it's refreshing because I, I i agree with you that there is now this kind of um i think i read it in the media a lot for instance like i i was reading this buzzfeed article just recently um of like oh like men how how do men see themselves in 2017 um and one person was like, oh, well, you know, there was a version of masculinity that involved sports and beer and blah, blah, blah. And now, well, I like anime and this. And I'm like, well, the person who likes sports and beer can also be a man. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so and also, like, if you like anime, then that's cool. You're a man, too. Like, like, yeah, I think there's a rejection to people that um and maybe I personalize this too sometimes because I'm like, oh, well, I like sports and I like beer too. But also I'm like, I I also like anime and I also like these things. And I, I appreciate that people like these things too. And like, I don't feel like people should uh, be pushing a stereotype on me. And this is the way I don't push a stereotype on you. So like if we don't push stereotypes on each other, then I think we'll be fine. <laughs> but see, I mean, the main, the key difficulty for me there is like, well, so maybe, maybe by doing this, by moving on, moving beyond sort of a judgmental, like a, a judgmental paradigm that sets up, you know, specific parameters around what constitutes a real man, then you enter one where there is no judgment, you know? And so like, how then do you create a constructive conversation around what it means to be a man without, I guess, specifying like, anything that's better or worse than anything else you know like then i guess you're entering the territory of values of of behaviors you know of of non-violence of empathy of i don't know integrity charity like and then i wonder that like maybe that's circular because then that gets you back to a point where somebody looks at all those values that you're now listing and you may not have said like in order to be a real man, you have to be X, Y, and Z. But in order to enact these values in everyday life, uh, you still probably have to be somewhere on the left wing of the political spectrum. You probably yeah. have to be quite sensitive and vulnerable. And therefore, you're just setting up, you know, the same real man paradigm as somebody who just says hashtag real man cry. Like, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. it's tough, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I totally agree with you. It is, it is, it is tough. And, and, and like, I understand the like the pushback and i and i understand where where people are where 
you know, people want to push against that and say like the hashtag real man cry or whatever it is that they want to say. Um, because I get it. They're they're challenging a stereotype. They're challenging the 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 status quo, and that's totally cool. I'm just worried that once we challenge that status quo, then that's going to be the status quo that we're going to go into, and then we're just going to try to do it again. Um, so yeah. one person I remember I went to a conference, and he said um, very clearly, like you know, we talk when we talk about masculinities, we talk about the man box a lot. Um, he said, we're, "I'm worried that." I'm jumping into one man box to another, and and I, and I I felt empathy for that man, and I'm like I get it, I, I know where you're coming from, so I, I I really like that you put this in Homer, and I also like this part as well too. Uh, if a single person leaves a site more confused about what it means to be a man, we have succeeded. So tell me more about this. This is this is an interesting concept. Yeah, I guess confusion is a concept that I substituted for like challenge. I mean, like I do use the word that we want to challenge the idea of what it means to be a man on a Homer, but I really just wanted to, I mean, like confusion excites me. I love the idea of like mixing things up and making things difficult to figure out because I think complexity is, is just uh, something people should learn to live with and embrace confusion, being unable to resolve things in satisfying ways. I think that is just like, that's something that if people got their heads around early, it would be great for the way that they encountered problems in the world. Yeah. And so you, that concept of confusing the idea of what it means to be a man, um, it's really important for me because it flows both ways. And what I mean by that is uh, typically I think when someone says like, you know, I want to challenge the idea of what it means to be a man, what you are alluding to is what we talked about just before that you want to like break down this idea of a muscular dominant uh, heterosexual white male and supplant it with someone who's ethnically diverse, vulnerable, sensitive, that sort of thing, right? Right, right. But that goes the other way when you use the word confused, because I want to offer up the fact that there are men who are really muscular, whose sense of self and sense of self-worth really pivots on their physical appearance and their ability to physically be dominant, you know, such as like major sports stars, but who also are politically aware, are sensitive, are vulnerable, you know, who are just as as valid and three-dimensional um, people as someone who might be at the other end of the, you know, sensitivity, vulnerability, physical prowess spectrum. Right. Yeah, so confusing the idea of what it means to be a man is important to me because um, I think confusion exists everywhere on that spectrum of masculinity, you know, like you can never write people off at either end it's not wise and and i think you know like i i like the confusion part of it and i, I also i i brought this with with uh conflicting narratives um you know like i you know i coming back to place where you know i i really like watching sports and i like watching um you know soccer or hockey or whatever and there is a sense of of uh toxic masculinity in it that are what i really don't like um but I still enjoy it, so I'm conflicted in trying to enjoy this thing that I love. Same thing yeah. when I listen to like things like hip hop, for instance, which I love listening to hip hop. But like, there's misogynist lyrics and the way that um, you know, there's the sense of homophobia as well too. Um, so that thing conflicts me too, and and um, and it is it is confusing to me. Um, do you do you ever find that kind of conflicting narratives in in inside your head oh absolutely and i mean hip-hop is a great one i've been listening to hip-hop since i was like i don't know maybe 14 years old and there are songs that i've been playing you know since i was 14 like only in the last three or four years as i've really started to think critically about gender and sexual politics have I listened to those songs and really heard for the first time what they're saying about about women or about gay men and suddenly just gone like, Oh shit. Like I can't, I can't listen to that song anymore. You know, now that I know that there's that kind of hate in it, it's just gone. Like said so that the whole thing has been soured, you know? Yeah. And yeah, I still like, and that's, that's something I, I bring with me now. Like every time that I'm, I'm looking, I'm watching a new video for a, a song by a rapper that I, 
love or I'm watching the behavior of football players on the field, you know, like one of them just crawling around on the floor, clutching his ankle after someone like shoulder. I'm sort of like thinking like, God damn, are these really my role models? You know, like, (laughs) yeah, I hear you. Like, like I love this sport, but and I love this music, but God damn, would you just stop behaving that way? <laughs> Fuck. No. Oh, by the way, you can swear here if you if you need to throw an f bomb. That's totally cool. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I let's go back to that to the beginning here. Why did you want to start Homer? I think when I was about uh, twenty one, twenty two was when I first started really engaging with. Um, conversations around feminism and, you know, what it means to be a woman in the 21st century. Um, I had lots of female friends, really intelligent, um, feminist, politically active um, friends. And and I was, I loved listening to participating in and thinking about the content of their conversations um, around feminism. It seemed to me like it was really enriching their understanding of their place in the world and uh, what would help better their personal lives and the lives of others. And it occurred to me that essentially no conversations were taking place around um, masculinity and femininity among or between men. Um, Like at best, I think the men who uh, were thinking about this, this is still largely the case now, I think the men who are having conversations about femininity, masculinity, gender identity, sexual politics, are doing so with like long-term female friends or long-term female partners. Rarely are they sitting down with other men to discuss this sort of stuff. And so I wanted to create a space for that conversation because I, I felt like I could continue having it with my female friends and with my female partners, but in a way it was doing both them and myself and other men a disservice by sort of containing that conversation in that space because then it only works to my benefit. It's usually involves significant emotional labor on the part of the woman um, in that scenario. And in no way is it sort of, broaching common ground and understanding between me and other men, which I think is what has been really missing from my life and what I really wanted to, to try and, and incite. Um, and it's worked, you know, like since I founded Homer, I've, I've had, it suddenly, it's, it's like when you found a website like that, you suddenly find that like the 10 or 12 guys who are in your peripheral social circles start conversations with you about masculinity the idea of what it means to be a man as soon as you create an opportunity for people to talk about this stuff they kind of go like all right i will take that opportunity i will absolutely start a conversation with you about this stuff because i've been thinking about it myself for ages and just haven't had anyone to talk to totally totally i i feel the same way i i really do which is really it really interesting that you say that yeah um so yeah i'm assuming that you you've been able to facilitate these conversations with other guys i mean like it's something that i would love to do more of i think one of the one of the easiest um, things to do with Homer would be to run it just as a website, to only have virtual interactions with people and no physical interactions. And unfortunately, as a full-time uni student right now, that's what the website has become, what the initiative has become. Yeah. But it it has been and remains the goal of the website to be something that creates like conversations and interactions in physical spaces and in person. And I'm assuming that then you want this to uh, grow a little further. Um, are you planning to make this kind of a community for you or a community for people in general? Uh, what's the goal here for Homer? I'm, I'm, it's still relatively, it's still very small. It's a Homer is literally just me right now. Um, but I've just put out a call out for a couple of people because I realized like when something is literally just rising and falling on your shoulders, if you are having a, an unproductive day, then your website has an unproductive day kind of thing, you know? Um, so I'm bringing some people to help uh, and just kind of give me a little community to bounce ideas around, increase the diversity of ideas uh, and projects that are considered in the long term, I would like, to set up a weekly 
um, discussion group, I guess, where I just have like a group of men sit around and talk about gender in their lives and, and what's going on. Like so, so, so far I've only done that once and it was crazily enlightening. It was wonderful to hear and recognize commonalities from in, in my life, in, in my life with other people's, you know, I feel you. Cause like I, I'm, I'm in the same kind of boat with, uh, with this podcast and, uh, with the community that, that has embraced it. And, uh, um, yeah. And it's, and it's funny, like you say, like, people do come out of the woodworks and, and just want to have these kind of conversations. Um, do you feel that your connections with your friends have become stronger because of that? Yeah, some of them definitely have. Absolutely. Like there are things I do now. Uh, I founded Homer, I guess, eight months ago. And I've been thinking about the ideas behind Homer for about three to five years. And there are things that I do now that I recognize that I would not have done were it not for pushing Homer out into the world. Like, I finished the university semester last week and the first thing I did was uh, like get online and hit up three men who I haven't talked to in a long while to just like see how they were doing and like check in where they're at at life and like make sure they know that they can come crash at mine anytime or we can catch up for a drink whenever and then we're in the same city, you know, that sort of thing. But I'm curious like how the community that that has like come together around your podcast exists for you? Like, do you have email interactions with them or do you meet up with them or sometimes. how does that work? For you? Yeah, sometimes I do. Um, I definitely have gotten emails and some people just asking questions. Like they don't want to be on the show. They are not looking to be uh, featured on anything. They just, you know, you know, like they just say, what, what do I do about this? Or, you know, how do I raise my son if he believes this thing? And I'm like, oh, okay, well, here's my experience. Here's some here's some research that I got. Here's some resources. Like, have at it. I have met with definitely some people outside of the podcast and just said, you know what, well, let's have a conversation. That would be really cool. And I have made some friends out of it too, like that random people that I just met off the podcast, uh, which have become pretty good, pretty um, nice little connection to it. Um, but I do feel that, I want to engage them a little bit more and I also want them to have like a community in which they they can ask these questions without uh, without me being the the sole facilitator and they can ask themselves because I feel like having an interaction between each other is like going to be more beneficial for them than than for me being that person out always answering that question. Yeah, fuck yeah. And how good does that feel to watch like a couple of people having a conversation in your presence that you know would not have happened if it hadn't like if that space hadn't been facilitated for that conversation, oh, you know, like totally. I mean, like some of the best experiences I've had on the podcast are just just of being around, of just doing the podcast and having people just ask me these questions. Like I remember going out with um, one of my friends. Um, he, you know, he he texted me and he was like, you know what? I listened to the podcast. I thought it was awesome. Like, can we go have a drink and let's talk about this? I'm like, totally yeah. cool. Yeah, a hundred percent. And then. And then he's like, well, can we invite like one of our other friends, like our mutual friend, and he, can we have that conversation with him too? I'm like, yeah, totally. If he's down for it, I'm totally cool with that. So it was like three of us just talking about what the the podcast in itself, or just like masculinity in general, and what what were what was their challenges, what was their barriers, um, and it was great just like hearing them. It was awesome. It was yeah, awesome. yeah, man, that was so good. Yeah, have you had those interactions yourself too? I look, honestly, not enough. Like I, I, I get crazy when university comes around and like, this is totally a masculinity related thing. But whenever I have like, say I have academic work to do and I have professional work that earns me money and then I have a social life, the social life is the first thing that dies. <laughs> um, <laughs> I sacrifice it before the others, hands down. I really, like, I really need to get better at sort of making space in my life for, like, regular human contact, you know? Like, I, I'm i really lucky right now. I live in a great share house with three women who are always around and we're always, like, sharing dinner and having conversations, so I'm not totally socially malnourished. But making opportunities for myself to spend time with other men is just, it's it's not something I do enough of right now. It's just been, like, the occasional... 
uh, get away with my brother and, and that's about it, you know? Yeah. And that's, I mean, like, I get it. (laughs) I totally get it. Like having that, um, just even doing this, I'm just like, Oh, I have to book interviews and I have to do this. And sometimes like, you know, I live with my fiance and that's, that sometimes can be a challenge for her too. So, um, (laughs) it's, I, but it is something that she really supports me on and I'm lucky with that too. So, so I wanted to ask you what, um, First of all, the name, Homer. What? Why Homer? I haven't got a clue. I kind of wanted a name that meant uh, something to everyone uh, and nothing in particular. Um, that's why I've sort of given no explanation of the, of the name uh, on the website. I suppose, like, I've been asked this question before, and when I've just been thinking out loud about the many meanings it might have, the two obvious ones that come to mind are... First, obviously, the Greek poet. Homer was almost certainly a man, historians say, but they have no way of determining it. The, the, the identity of Homer is completely unknown. So it's just some random storyteller who was incidentally responsible for creating one of the first masculine archetypes, I suppose, in the form of Odysseus in the Iliad and the Odyssey who is just a ridiculous mess of a character, you know, like he does the most stupid outlandish things, sacrifices the life of his men, sleeps with gods, uh, gets drunk, you know, his men get turned into pigs and he's just like, that's fine. Bye. Uh, he's just a really weird, uh, idea of, of what like a masculine hero is, you know? And then when he gets, finally gets home to his, his, his wife, uh, he basically tortures her to find out that, you know, she still loves him instead of just walking in and be like, hi, honey, I'm home. Sorry, I was away for 10 years. That must have been difficult for you. And then, of course, there's 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 the other, like, there's Homer Simpson. Right. Um, who is just like a popular cultural reference point. And I guess I wanted people to read that name and think familiarity, you know? Yeah. Well, one way or another. Yeah. No, it's, and it is kind of like a, yeah, and like, to be fair, like, Homer Simpson was the first person I thought of, mostly um, because I'm a Simpsons fan, but um, it, it is a kind of a provocative name, um, so I, yeah, I wonder if there was a story behind it, but this, that, that was really cool. This is a general question, this kind of, it feels like it's kind of come out of left field, but bear with me. <laughs> uh, was there a defining moment for you as a man? I think the closest that I have come to that, like the first thing that comes to mind, is actually uh, around this time last year. Um, like, there have been, I've had, I've had some really long and beautiful relationships, which, which have been great. I've had like moments of, of totally unadulterated, pure joy with sharing like moments of intimacy and love with people. But in the last couple of years, um, it's kind of the decisions that I've made for myself uh, and the experiences I've gone through on my own that have made the biggest difference. Towards mm-hmm. the end of 2015, I went to see a therapist for the first time. You know, like I I thought about that. I mulled over that for like two years. An ex-girlfriend of mine told me to go and see a therapist and I basically like that relationship fell to pieces before I would go mm-hmm and see a therapist and going to see a therapist was one of the best things I ever did. Um, completely changed the course of my life, uh, really revealed some things to me. It was really helpful. But the moment I'm leading up to with this is in, yeah, I think like May, June last year, I had a period of like the most intense depression that I've ever experienced. I did not know what people were talking about when they said, you know, they couldn't get out of bed in the morning, but that's sort of, that's that's how I felt. Like I saw no point to anything, which is a really scary and incredibly bleak place to be. And I got through that. I like spent a little time going out and seeing friends and just felt completely numb in their presence. I had a really supportive set of housemates at the time, which helped a lot. They were very understanding and they sort of said like just let us know if there's anything we can do. If not, just take care of yourself, eat well, sleep well, etc. Right. Um, but um, yeah, just coming through that, it lasted about a month. 
Uh, and I've had no relapses of any kind since then. It, it sort of felt like some kind of exorcism, I guess, at right. the time, you know, like, like it needed to get that low. And, and I, like, I have this weird hunch that I won't ever be back there in that state of mind again. But going through that and coming out of it sort of felt like, um, I have a bit of, a bit of a new lease on life or something, you know, like yeah. that. That was really hard, and it was really important to me that I that I managed to get through that, and that I didn't completely conceal it from people either. You know, I didn't try to pretend that it wasn't happening, mm-hmm. which was nice. Was that hard for you, like trying to like let it out into the open? Absolutely, yeah. Um, and I I had I had this one great housemate, um, Lani, who. She's just one of those people who, you know, they when they ask you how you're doing, they mean it. You know, yeah. they're, they're, not, they're not looking for a platitude. They're literally, you know, they just they want the truth. So she naturally created a space in which I felt comfortable saying, I'm actually not doing too well. If it hadn't been for her, I don't know that I would have. Um, yeah, with full credit to her, I don't know that I would have revealed that if um, if she hadn't been in the house at the time, because my my two other housemates. I loved them, but th- these two guys did not have like a huge emotional vocabulary and probably wouldn't have asked the same question in the same way as Lani did. So I think I was just um, really quite lucky. And was it a, was it be- like, I don't mean to generalize this, but do you feel that that's, that was that kind of like this, this was a, a female doing this and the males were the ones who were not uh, emotionally mature or um, to, to handle that almost? <laughs> Unfortunately, I think that generalization stands uh, in this situation. Uh, yeah, I, I think Lani is just an extraordinarily emotionally attuned person who's done some real like legwork to understand herself and how her emotions work. And yeah, and the other guys probably not so much. You know, like you could blame them for that. You could blame society for that. Whatever the causal factors were is beside the point. I definitely think it was like, yeah, something stereotypical was taking place. For yeah, sure. yeah. It's funny when that happens, and you will like when stereotypes sometimes kind of rear their head, and I'm like, oh. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's like okay, I'm gonna tell you now that I'm feeling depressed and I recognize the emotional labor that you're doing in this situation by allowing me to speak about my problems and I recognize that it's politically problematic for this to be taking place. However, I'm deeply depressed, so let's do <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I hear you, man. I hear you. Uh, I'm I'm very happy that you're you're in um you're in a better state and I'm really I really appreciate the you know like the effort to to tell that story and to be vulnerable about that because I you know I feel the the more people share about this and the more people will hear and say you know what that that might have been me too so um I appreciate yeah. that thank you Ashley thanks I mean I I I feel exactly the same way I feel like the taboos around talking about mental health should be reduced because like you could hear that story, right, about me being depressed for a month last year and think, like, oh, this guy has depression. He has long-lasting, you know, like, his mental health is just permanently in a, in a, in a, in a questionable state now because I've heard him make this one statement. But, like, mental health is weird, man. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work like that, you know? It's, it's like, I, I had this one period of intense depression. I've never had anything like it. And fingers crossed, I'll never have anything like it again. And that literally could be it for me. Whereas other people have chronic, long-lasting conditions, conditions that come out of nowhere when they're 35 and vanish when they're 38. Like, who knows? I felt that too. Like, there was definitely a time in my life where I felt completely depressed and and anxious and stressed out and, like, just worried. And, and it's funny mm-hmm. that you say that because it was right after... Um, a breakup and it was and it's interesting because that like I know you asked this before um, before we started talking I'm like well like you know where did you come to this kind of realization about masculinity and whatnot and it was kind of around the same kind of idea it was um, a breakup and a depression and it was me learning about you know how to kind of get back into the saddle and um and reading books and trying to understand that and trying to understand what vulnerability actually meant. Uh, where this, that's how that's this, my brain started, you know, 
working about uh, learning more about masculinity and learning more about mental health and whatnot. I kind of wish it in that way as well, because I feel like my 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 arc was uh, involved a lot more self-loathing and alcohol and and uh, and and mistakes, uh, sexually speaking. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get me wrong, uh, I I. I was in the same boat too. <laughs> it just, it just, that's the, that's the path I took too sometimes. I think that's why I have this fucking chip on my shoulder about the romanticized way that alcoholic geniuses are looked at, you know, like, like I still hear that quote bandied around, you know, by, by like the Ernest Hemingway, right drunk, edit sober. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a dude who put a shotgun in his mouth when he was 55. Why is anyone quoting his advice about anything, you know, mm-hmm. like, and, and I think I, I really, I took the idea that there's something romantic about destroying yourself to a really dark place, uh, a few years ago. And it was only when I sort of like, I don't know, had a weird moment of clarity and looked at myself and were like, man, do you like yourself? Are these the values you want to live by when you're left to your own devices? Uh, and found the answers to be in the negative that I started to sort of pull the nose of the plane up, you know? Was this an addiction for you? I don't know. I I, I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, I think it was just like a an extreme Mm-hmm. But there's every chance if you ask me that question 10 years from now that I might look back and and say yes. But I I don't know enough about the nature of addiction to identify it in my own life right now, you know? Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. No, yeah, thank, I, again, I appreciate that. Um, I think a lot of men do suffer from that kind of normalized drinking too. Like, and I... I I think that's you're right. The very romanticized version of drinking sometimes is can be a barrier. Like it used to be with like smoking, that was like the cool thing to do. But now like drinking is definitely like the cool like to get to get either to get blasted to get wasted or it was to like oh I'm gonna drink myself because I'm depressed or whatever yeah, it yeah. is like. You know what? It's it becomes so insidious as well. Like like alcohol met with like rampant global capitalism has just become this extraordinarily subtle beast. Like you can be a dependent borderline alcoholic. We under any number of guises, you know, like you don't just like the idea that an alcoholic is somebody who buys a cheap case of beer or a cheap crate of wine. Like you can buy really high end whiskey and pass that off as your connoisseurishness. You know, you can be somebody who drinks IPAs and craft beers and pass that off as like, I don't know, being a cultured beer drinker, nice wines, all these ways that alcohol can come to seem socially acceptable simply because you're spending a little bit more money on it. You know, I want to go back to um, what your first instincts of Homer in general. And I, and I, and I really also appreciate the, the fact that you also want to hear voices uh, different types of voices. Um, you mentioned people who are LGBTQ, um, you know, ethically diverse. Um, what are you looking for in those kind of voices? Just lived experience, you know? The understanding of the lived experience is somebody who has either deliberately taken on or eschewed or loved or hated the experience of being a, a man or or, ma- or encountered or having encountered masculinity is just kind of like it's under addressed, you know. The people who are thinking about this most and writing about this most are two kinds of people, generally speaking. They're feminist informed um, academics and journalists and queer informed academics and journalists. And that makes sense, of course. They have usually a, like a theoretical background in it, they have a personal interest in it because their gender has been politicized for them in ways that they had generally speaking, very little to do with, you know, like to be on the receiving end of a, of a power paradigm that is not in your favor is totally going to open your eyes to the experience of, of, of what gender means in your life. But men, you know, who presumably are on the, 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 on the, the happy end of this power paradigm. I don't know. I don't know what their experiences are. I, I have felt 
and have known the benefits of privilege in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but there's a dark side to that. Uh, and I would love to know essentially what that paradigm means for everyone. And I'd like to hear it from the horse's mouth, you know, and that is especially true of people from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds from people from the queer community, their voices obviously historically are uh, among the most marginalized, if not the most marginalized. And so hearing what they have to say that might confound people's expectations or confirm them would just, it would interest me. It's a personal curiosity, I guess. I agree. And I, and sometimes I, I have to think about those things clearly too, when I do the podcast of hearing the different, different types of voices, different types of diversity, uh, in general, even having someone like yourself that who comes from a different country and to understand what your ideas around uh, masculinity, because it, it can be different, in, especially in different cultures in different areas, even though Australia feels like it's kind of a more of a Western culture, too. So you recently started a podcast, <laughs> the Homer Half Hour. Um, first of all, why did you want it to do more work for yourself? <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Why did you want to do the podcast? I guess it's kind of what we've been talking about. You know, like I wanted to have these kinds of conversations in person with people. Um, and specifically, I wanted to use the podcast. Uh, like like on, on the download, I wanted to use the podcast to basically like create an opportunity, an excuse to have certain conversations with guys who are in my life that I would not have those conversations with otherwise. But... I wanted also to use the podcast to demonstrate very much as you're doing with your podcast that like ordinary guys could sit down and have conversations about masculinity and ideas of what it means to be a man. And it would be constructive and entertaining and interesting, you know, Um, like I wanted to model basically what these conversations can sound like, how they don't have to be uncomfortable, how they don't have to be weird how they can just be like shooting the shit basically um, the same as any other topic. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of like, I think it's, I, I guess I felt that it's important to model that kind of behavior because that's, that's a big part of the Homer ethos, you know, is, is role modeling stuff. I think men and young men especially benefit from having uh, male role models modeling good behavior. And I think having intelligent like emotionally honest conversations is absolutely a part of that. Yeah, and your podcast is pretty good, and I and I appreciate the guests that you have on. Cool. Yeah, please check it out if after you're listening to mine. Go to Homer's Half Hour Podcast. Um, and it, it it's a really cool like like I said, just hearing voices from other countries and from other areas. I think is super important, and just to hear what's going on outside, outside of Canada, <clears throat> outside of Alberta as well too. It's awesome. So. The last question I have for you, and this is a question I ask all my guests, um, what has been a piece of advice that you have taken on or that you have heard that has helped you out in your life and you wanted to pass on to other guys? Ooh, damn. It's funny that you have a, a question that you end on because um, I've, I've done a series of interviews on Homer you know, where I, I talk to men who I think make for unusual role model models. And I always kind of ask them the same question at the end, which is what, what do they love? Mm-hmm. Um, what is meaning to their life? That's a good question. Now that it is, huh? it is. I like you on a piece of advice though. I've gotten into this headspace, you know, where I'm so hesitant about being prescriptive in any way, shape or form that when anyone asks me for like a plain directive answer, I'm just like, I don't know, make up your own mind. <laughs> that could be the advice, too. <laughs> no, no, I don't like it. I can do better than that. <laughs> okay. So we talked earlier about, uh, you know, the fact that I, I went after sort of like two years of umming and ahhing about it to see a therapist. Um, and I suppose this is going to seem like quite concrete, but I guess I would say that if someone in your life tells you you need professional care, you should, you should accept that advice. You know, it's, it's, it's not the kind of advice people give glibly, you know, uh, it, and it is absolutely a barrier that is in no way 
as intimidating as it seems, you know, going into the office of someone who is professionally qualified to provide care to people with mental health problems and mental health problems can just be life. Life is a mental health problem. Yeah. Just overcoming that barrier, accepting people's, I guess, concern and doing something about it is something I, I kind of wish everyone did, you know, because those offices are just full of, intelligent people who have thought about this way more deeply and worked about worked in this field for way longer than your average person. They are predestined to help, you know. I, I kind of wish more people would just take them up on that, even if it seems a little pricey, even if it seems like you're acknowledging that you need help, which is scary in and of itself, it's worth doing. No, that's actually really great advice. Um, you know, like if it's... It can be scary, but it's super important um, to get to get help when you need it and to at least try. Um, I know there's some barriers for some people, especially around the price. But, I mean, just try. There's definitely some free services out there. I know in Alberta. I don't know if it's in Australia. I'm sure there's some. And, look, I mean, like, it's not even, like, if you need help necessarily, right? Like, like why not just treat it like a tune-up for your car? Yeah, totally. You know, just, like, just... <laughs> Go in and, you know, see if anything gets shaken loose. You know, you, you don't know. The thing might need a, a service and you're just you're just not aware until you go and speak to an expert, you know? Yeah, totally. Exactly. I feel like yeah, I agree with you. I think everybody should go to therapy, therapist anyways, just, just for the heck of it, just to see how it is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, Ashley Thompson, um, your website is homeronline.com. Uh, please check it out. Fascinating uh, content there. Um, and you are asking for submissions too, like um, who can submit uh, to Homer? Anyone, anyone. Uh, we take essays, memoir, op-eds, think pieces, whatever you feel like writing. Uh, yeah, just let us know. At that, that same website, homeronline.com forward slash submit, and you can find out what we take and how. Yeah. Um, don't hesitate, get in touch. Yeah, and please uh, check out um, the Homer Half Hour podcast too. It, uh, it's pretty good, and like I said, it's it gives me it gives me a different perspective of what's going on outside of my little world here. This is really cool. Like I I feel like you're you're my you're my person down under. <laughs> like it's like I feel like you're doing the, you're kind of doing the same thing that I'm doing. You're you're thinking about the same things, and like like I I feel connected. So I'm very happy that I got a chance to talk to you. Thanks, man. Likewise. That's our show for today. Remember, you can check out all episodes of the Modern Manhood podcast by going to modernmanhood.org. Or you can search us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. You can also find us on gradio.ca, where MMP is streamed every week. For more information about Ashley and Homer specifically, check out homeronline.com. And that's also where you'll find Homer's half-hour podcast. I'm going to post both of those on the main webpage. Now remember, MMP does have a Patreon page. You go to patreon.com slash modernmanpod where you can donate directly to MMP and help us keep doing what we need to do to make this podcast a success. I hope everyone has had a fantastic week and we'll see you next time on the Modern Manhood Podcast.